Would you turn, please, this morning to the 34th Psalm, Psalm 34. If you've been here with us on the past several Sunday mornings, we've been teaching on the subject of prayer, a series we called Prayer Principles. And uh, I believe that with last week that we were released from that for now. And we started a new series on Friday also. Uh, were you here for that? Yes. What were we talking about? Remind me. <laughs> we're talking about dominion. We're talking about reigning in life. We're talking about authority. And so uh, if you haven't been here for, we taught on prosperity for weeks and weeks and, and uh, tapes are available. The tapes on prayer, all that's available. This morning, I believe we should begin a new series and in Psalm 34, we'll read the text and I'll show you what we're, what we're beginning. I'm excited about it. I believe the Lord knows just exactly what we need for right now and that it'll help us wonderfully. In Psalm 34, this whole Psalm is just wonderful like all of them, but we'll begin reading in verse one. I will bless the Lord when it's going good. No, excuse me. At all times. His praise, when I feel good, no, no, shall continually be in my mouth. When are you to bless the Lord? When are you to praise God? All the time in every situation. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. Not the problem. I said not the problem. The Lord. Not the disease. The Lord. Not the debt. The Lord. Not the marriage problems. The Lord. Not your sin. Right? For if we'd just do what we just described, if we'd do that, your life would be completely different. See, anytime you start talking about the problem and you go, oh, what's wrong with them? Oh, it's, it's cancer. You're magnifying that. Why do you talk about it in hushed tones? Oh, it's, uh, it's AIDS. What does that mean? Incurable. It's cancer. And people begin to talk about all the Latin names for things, and, and they go on and, and on and on. And I've had people look at me and go, yeah, but now you just don't understand the seriousness of my situation. Because I told them what the Word said, and they said, yeah, but you don't understand. I mean, my case is not like most folks' cases. Yeah, it is. The Bible said, there's nothing happened to you but what's common to other people. Right? But what people are doing, they're magnifying the difficulty. Yes. Yeah, but you don't understand what a, I mean, my marriage is, you don't understand. It's huge problem. You ought to hear some I've heard. Probably make yours look small. There's nothing new under the sun. Everybody's dealing with stuff. The way you overcome it, though, is by magnifying the Lord. People say, oh, it's a sickness. You go, yeah, but the healer. Oh, but what a debt it is. Oh, but what a provider we have. Oh, but it's such an awful, awful sin. Oh, but the blood. Oh, but the blood. Right? What do you magnify? 
what do you emphasize? Oh, magnify the Lord. Let us do what? Let us exalt his name. Exalt him. Not the problem. Exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That's our text. I sought the Lord. He heard me and he did what? He delivered me. From all my fears. We're beginning this morning a a new series. We're calling Free from Fear. Free from Fear. He delivered me from what? A bunch of my fear. He delivered me from, it must have been 85%. No, he delivered me. From all my fears. If you're delivered from all your fears, what's left? How many fears would you have? Would fears of what? Of nothing. You'd be completely fear free. You'd be free from all fear. No fear in you. Afraid of nothing. Right? No phobias. Not afraid of a car wreck. Not afraid of a plane crash. Not afraid of eating the wrong thing. Not afraid of an allergy. Not afraid of a divorce. Not afraid something's going to happen to your kids. Not afraid something's going to happen to the country. Just not afraid. At all. No fear. No fear. This is how we're supposed to live. Most people don't. But it's how we're supposed to. How many like this scripture? I sought the Lord. I called on him. What happened? He heard me. What happened then? He delivered me from all my fears. And I was completely fear free. That's what we're doing in these sessions. We are seeking the Lord. Right? We're seeking the Lord. Every time you come. For the next several Sunday mornings now, I want you to stir up in your heart and say, Lord, we're seeking you. Teach us. Show us. So that we are completely delivered from any and every fear. We are afraid of nothing. Right? Afraid of nothing. Free from fear. Now, please go with me back to the book of Genesis. And let's go back to the beginning and see how... Fear began. And the source of fear. Genesis, the third chapter. I sought the Lord. And he delivered me. One translation said he freed me from all my fears. In Genesis, the third chapter, we see the first Mention of fear. Prior to this, we see no reference to fear. God made the heavens and the earth. He made his man. He made woman. He made the garden. He put them in the garden to dress it and to keep it. And he fellowshiped with them. 
we looked Friday night about how that he took Adam and said, uh, you know, here's this animal. What do you call him? And Adam named all the animals and man and woman and God had fellowship. Full and unhindered. They must not have been afraid of him. Right? They're fellowshipping with him. They're talking to him. They're communing. We have every indication that he would fellowship with them personally on a regular basis, daily basis. No indication of fear of any kind. Now, you know, the Bible tells us that soon and very soon, things are going to be changed. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied. That the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. Right? And the little child can play around the serpent's den. And I guess pull a snake out and play with it. Tie it up and use it for a headband. (laughs) A little child. And that there would be nothing that would hurt or harm. In all God's holy mountain. See, all the things that we've grown accustomed to, from the time we're born into the world, we've experienced the curse. We've experienced the creation that has been skewed and changed by death. We see animals afraid of other animals, and animals afraid of us, and us afraid of animals. And men afraid of other men. And men afraid of machines. and, and all kinds. But that was not so from the beginning. It was not a part of God's original creation. Adam and Eve were not afraid of a lion. They named him. They weren't afraid of tigers. They weren't afraid of elephants. They weren't afraid of it. There was nothing to be afraid of. And the animals weren't afraid of them. And the animals weren't afraid of each other. All this fear that is in the earth was never God's plan. You don't see it. Any reference to it, any indication of it, until Adam and Eve sinned and fell. Now look in Genesis 3, please. The serpent was very crafty, deceptive. He appealed to them and tempted them concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they listened and they yielded and they ate. Verse 7, Genesis 3, 7. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or the margin says in the wind. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, had they done this before? Was any indication that they had ever hid themselves from God when he came? No. This is markedly different. You see it as we go on. Something is totally radically different. Now let's stop right here. What's different? Why is anything different? They sinned. Right? They sinned. That's what's different. What changed from the day before? 
And the Lord God called to Adam. And he said to him, where are you? I think sometimes we just read over these things and we don't really see what's going on. But does the Lord not know where he is? (laughs) Huh? What's he saying though? Why aren't you here like always? Right? Y'all are always here. We, We do this all the time. Where are you? In other words, what are you doing? And uh, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was what? Oh my. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. That's not the whole story. Is he afraid because he's naked? That's not the whole story. Why is he afraid? He's afraid because he sinned. Right? And the Lord told them that if they would eat that, what would happen to them? They'd die. Now that sounds like scripture in the New Testament. The wages of sin is what? Death. Or another translation said the pay. The pay for sin is death. But he goes on to talk about the gift of God and grace is the gift of righteousness and restoration. Well, gift and pay, two completely different concepts. What we've received from the Lord is not pay. Our forgiveness of sin, our righteousness, our cleansing, our name in the Lamb's book of life, none of that is pay for anything we earned. Right? It's a free gift. Right? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But the wages of sin, the what? Wages, the pay of sin is death. Pay or wages is something you deserve. Right? You worked for it. Right? So you earn it. You deserve it. I mean, if you worked hard all week at the job and they come give you a check and say, we want to give you this gift. Huh? Out of the goodness of our hearts, we want to give you this free gift just because we're gracious. What what do you think? No, I, I worked for that. Right? It's not a gift. You earned it. You deserve it. Right? You put in the time. You deserve it. Well, he said when you put in the sin, you deserve it. Death. So they knew that. And they felt that. And that's why they were scared. And that's why they ran and hid. Because they knew they are guilty. And they knew they deserve punishment. And so that creates fear. Fear. Fear of death. Fear of destruction, fear of punishment. But now, this is so important. I know I'm being redundant about it, but it's so important. Why would you be afraid of the punishment? Because you're guilty. Right? Before this, they were not guilty of anything. Right? Before this, they hadn't sinned. So because they hadn't sinned, They didn't believe they're guilty of any punishment, any death. So they just walk right out 
before the Lord with no clothes, no shame, no guilt, no sense of inferiority, no sense of when God raised his hand, did they go, uh, watch out. Oh, are you sure? I ought to be here with God. He's holy. That never crossed their mind. You'll see this in little ones. Little small children. Now they have to be pretty small. But who've not begun to discern between right and wrong or good and evil. They'll just blare out in the middle of something. They don't have a a question. Do I deserve to be here? Do I deserve this popsicle? You never see a little one like that going, oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm not worthy of a cupcake. No. I'm so unworthy. Oh, no. They just step right up and appropriate. Right? Now, the least bit of sense of inferiority. Why? Because that's how we're all supposed to be. And Jesus said, of such, little children like that, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God is like that. And that's how Adam and Eve were in the beginning. Never crossed their mind that they didn't have a right to be in the garden. Never crossed their mind that they didn't have a right to be in the full, perfect presence of the Almighty. And you speak up and say whatever they want to say and do whatever they want to do. I mean, completely unhindered, unfettered, no fear at all. None, no fear. But it all changed. When they sinned. Now what happens? Guilt. Condemnation. And fear. He said I was afraid. I was afraid. Because I was naked. And the Lord said who told you you were naked? I didn't tell you you were naked. Who told you you were naked? Keep reading. He said, verse 11, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And the story goes on. The answer is yes. I won't get into all that today, but yes. And that's why they were afraid. This is where fear began that we have record of in man. This is the source of it, the failure and the sin. Is this from God? Was this God's perfect will? Then should we have fear in us? I have heard preachers preach that a little fear is good. Preachers preach from the pulpit that a little fear is good. You see parents all the time instilling fear into their children. Don't you go out in the road? I mean, you'll get killed. Try to make them afraid of a car. Make them afraid of an animal. Make them afraid. And it starts when you're very young. The devil is on the job. He's trying to get fear into little ones. You must say, well, what do you do? You don't tell them it's okay. No, you don't. But you must watch how you do it. There must not be any fear in what you're doing. None. I have respect for what a big rattlesnake can do. Right? I don't have one for a pet. And I don't play with snakes. 
But I do not have a fear of snakes. Did you hear me? I have a respect for what several tons of airplane and thousands of pounds of thrust and thunderstorms can do. Did you hear me? But I do not have a fear of flying. There's a huge difference. I said there's a huge difference. And we must teach our children properly. Show them what these things can do. But then that there's no reason to be afraid. Because God's with you. Your angels are with you. Right? And if we'll be led by the Spirit and stay in faith, He will keep us. He'll protect us. Right? No fear. No fear. No fear. Because we're going to get into later on, the Bible says your fears will come on you. Fear is a perverted form of faith. When you yield to fear, you're actually believing for that bad thing to happen to you. We must not do this. We must not open the doors to the devil and invite him to do things in our life. That's why we must be fear free. You know, it's sad. You can see out on the road. Teenagers and and girls and boys just beginning to drive. They have no respect. Many of them for what thousands of pounds of vehicle at 80 miles an hour can do. They have no concept. So much of it's ignorance. And it's because they weren't taught. They're not taught. We must teach our children. The responsibilities. We must teach what this is. This is not just a toy. Look at what this is. Come to appreciate it. Come to respect it. Come to understand it, but never, ever fear it. Does that make sense, friends? Never, ever fear. Now, look with me. Having said this and stated this. Look with me in uh, the book of uh, Romans. The 13th chapter. Is this okay this morning? We're laying a foundation, so we're moving slowly and carefully. But you know how we do. We get the steam built up. <laughs> Look out. Once we get moving. Romans, the 13th chapter. You'll see how this operates. Romans 13 and 1. Romans 13, 1. He said, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. That's the word authority. For there is no power or authority but of God. The powers or authorities that be are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now that word is also translated condemnation. Verse 3, for rulers... Are not a terror to good works, but to what? To evil. Now, go over that again slowly. Rulers, people in authority. Now, this covers everybody from the president to the highway patrol. Right? To the sheriff, to whoever. They are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
I mean, if you see blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror, if, <laughs> if you feel fear, why? <laughs> why would you feel fear? <laughs> if you never speed, you know everything on your cars to code, you know you got the right paperwork. There are no outstanding things against you or warrants for your arrest. Right? Why should you be afraid? Right? But if you know, you've been ripping down the road. Right? You slid around the last three corners and exceeding the legal limit by 30 miles an hour. Then then that's why you know, uh-oh. He goes on to say, will you then what? Will you not be afraid? Do you desire to not be afraid of the authority? Then what? Do what's good. Do what's right. And you'll have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Do you know that our people in positions of authority are called the ministers of God? Our policemen, our firemen, our National Guard, our military. Do you know they're ministers? A lot of people don't think like this, but they are. Ministers of God. To thee for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For he bears not the sword or the ticket book in vain. He's the minister of God, a revenger to exercise wrath upon them that do evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject to the authorities, he started talking about. Not only for wrath or punishment, but also for conscience sake. Now see, we're seeing the root and the source of fear. We saw the beginning of it. And we see the core of it. What is the core of it? A sense of having done wrong. And then deserving some form of punishment or penalty. And if you know you've done wrong. Then you're afraid of what's going to happen next. But if you know you haven't done wrong. Then that cause is removed. Let me give you some personal examples. (laughs) When I was in uh, high school, I did pretty good in school and had extra time for mischief. (laughs) And uh, we pulled off a few pranks. And so there were some times when the word would come to the class for me to go to the office (laughs) to see the principal. And oh boy. I did not go in confidence. Because as I'm going down the hall, I'm thinking, wonder what it's for. Think it's for this? Wonder if they found out about that. Boy, I hope they don't tell my daddy. (laughs) And I had some fear. I had some intimidation and some fear. Because I knew I had, I'd done some things. I'd, you know, like one, I'll just give you a real quick example here. (laughs) Myself and three of my cohorts 
We're in study hall, not studying. And one of my friends had made this uh, thing out of a hairpin to shoot spit wads. And he was shooting them at some girl on the other table. And we all were very highly amused. And it got out of his hand. The whole pin flipped out of his hand and sailed up and hit the study hall teacher in the eyebrow. Wow. And so she was not pleased. And she came and she said, who did it? Because she saw what table it came from. Well, we're all the four musketeers. I mean, you know, we don't rat on each other. And so nobody would tell. So she sent us all to the office. And on the way to the office, it was a really pretty day outside. (laughs) Yeah, you know what's coming, don't you? And, And actually the guy who did the deed, he said, my car is right around the corner. Uh... Let's go to the pool hall. And we thought that was a great idea. So we went, we went to the pool hall and had a great day. And so shortly after that, we were all summoned to the office again. I had some fear. Right? Why? Because we broke some rules. Right? I'm guilty. And because I'm guilty, the pay for breaking the rules is punishment. And so I know that. Well now, fast forward a few years. I was in Bible school. Things are, are different. I've grown up a little bit. And I got called to the office. My name was on the roster. It comes to see the dean. I went to the office, but I had not one fear. In fact, this is what I'm thinking. Maybe somebody left some money for me. That's right. To pay off my tuition. That's what I'm thinking. Because I knew I was not aware of anything I had done wrong. I was there to train for the ministry. I was not pulling tricks. I wasn't doing anything goofy. I had no reason to think that I'm in trouble. Do you see what I'm saying? Completely different scenario. Why? One, I was guilty and I knew it was. The other one, I was not. So when I'm not guilty, am I expecting punishment? What am I expecting? Blessing. Right? Before the year was out, I had several good things happen for me. Glory to God. Now, friend, do you see those simple things? Expectation of bad versus expectation of good. See, some people, uh, they don't understand us. Because we talk about, we're expecting for this to happen. I'm expecting to get a big boat. They think, what is wrong with you? Well, you think you deserve a big boat. Ain't about deserving it's because God is good. You sorry rascal, you old sinner saved by grace, you ought to be thankful as to have a bite to eat. I am thankful for that too. But I believe I can have any blessing. Why? Because I'm so perfect? Of course not. Because I've done everything right? No. Because someone has made me worthy. Someone has made me right. Someone has made me innocent. Therefore, I can fully and confidently expect the best things in the world to happen to me. Why? No reason to fear. Every reason to expect good. Let me read this to you again out of a different translation. 
Let it sink in real strong. NIV said rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear? From the one in authority? Then do what's right and he'll commend you. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword for nothing. The New Living says, Authorities do not frighten people who are doing right. But they frighten those who do wrong. So do what they say and you'll get along well. The authorities are sent by God to help you. But if you're doing something wrong, then of course you'll be afraid. For you'll be punished. Be afraid because what? Because you'll be punished. You must obey for two reasons. To keep from being punished and to keep a clear conscience. This is our first session. But you can see already how are we going to be completely free from fear. We got to come to realize what the blood has done for us. We've got to come to realize what it means that we've been made righteous with the righteousness of God in Christ. What does it mean? When these things dawn on our spirit, we'll be delivered from any expectation of evil and punishment because of our mistakes. Because if I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. If I'm cleansed, I'm cleansed, which means I deserve no punishment for those sins. Jesus took that punishment. He paid the price for my sin. So I deserve no punishment for my sin. Now we're going to have to camp on this a while. You understand that we're going to have to hear this and hear it because we're dealing with centuries and centuries of twisted tradition. And people are afraid. Dr. Kenneth Hagin, my father in the faith had more than one vision of the head of the church. And uh, he said one thing, the first vision he had of the Lord where he saw heaven. He told something that stuck with me. I mean, it's ingrained in me. I think I'll never forget it. He said he heard a voice, come up, come up here, come to the throne of God. He thought it was a man hollering. Next thing he knew, he was there. He saw, he said, him who was sitting On the throne. He saw the winged creatures. He saw the beautiful bow. Behind and around the throne. We know the rainbow. The Lord said that was his bow. That's his personal bow. And he said he started to look at the throne. And the Lord the master was standing beside him. And he said don't look on his face. Well the Bible says no man. Living man has ever seen his face. And so he turned to look at the Lord. He said when he looked at him. He was overcome. He said, people have asked him to try to describe what the Lord looked like. He said, you know, he gives some particulars about height and this and that. But he said, uh, the one thing that stood out to him was the Lord's eyes. He said, it looked like you could look down into them a mile deep. And he said, the only way he could describe it, his eyes were like living wells of love. And he said, when he looked full into the Lord's face... He said he was so overwhelmed and overcome, he fell on his face. And the Lord's feet were bared. He put his hands on the Lord's feet and he said, Lord, Lord, nobody like me should look on your face. Nobody as unworthy as I should look on your face. And you'd probably feel that way. No matter who you were and what you thought you'd done. He said, but the Lord spoke to him and said, get up, stand up. He said he said it such a way that he didn't think about not doing it. 
He said he stood up and looked at him trembling. So the Lord looked at him and said, I have made you worthy to look on my face. Has he? Has he? We're either unworthy or we're not. We're either unrighteous or righteous. We're either sinners or we've been cleansed. Can't be both. Right? He said, stand up. You are worthy. Because I have made you worthy with my own blood. Oh, glory to God. Does that do anything for you, friend? I'm telling you. No matter what mistakes we've made. No matter how badly we failed, if we can have faith and believe, the blood can cleanse us from all unrighteousness and make us holy and pure and worthy. Well, not only just worthy to stand up, but worthy to receive. Do you deserve to be healed? Hold your place here. Where are you? You're Romans 13. Go over to Luke real quickly. Thank you, Lord. Go to Luke, please, the 13th chapter. Luke 13. Verse 11. Jesus, you know, was teaching in the synagogue. And in verse 11, there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you're loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Nothing is indicated about her glorifying God for 13, 18 years, rather, while she was bent over and stooped over. But as soon as she was loosed, it glorified God. Right? And uh, the ruler of the synagogue got aggravated and he said, oh, no, oh, no, healing on the Sabbath day. Of course, now, he never told them when they could come back to his place to get healed. He never told them what day they had healing day at his place. It's like a lot of folk. I mean, they don't have results, but they think their authority is to tell you what you can't do, how you can't do it, but they never get results. No, you can't do that. No, no, not on the Sabbath day. No, no, you're breaking the law. You're against the word. And the Lord said, you hypocrite. You know, sometimes you need to be straight with folks, don't you? That was weak. You concerned I'm going to be straight with you, huh? But no, sometimes people have played with them and danced around with them and they hadn't got it. They need to see what's wrong. Not mean, but you need to make it plain for them. He said, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond or bondage on the Sabbath day? He said this woman ought to be loosed. Why? Daughter of Abraham. That's covenant talk. I said that's covenant talk. Now that applies everything that came before this, but also Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and the covenant that God made with Abraham. So based on the covenant that came before and based on the covenant that is about to be completed and initiated through Jesus, he said, this woman ought to be healed. She ought to be loose. When you look up the word, it literally means it's owed to her. 
It's owed to her. Ought. I mean, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Ought. Where does ought come from? Look up the roots and you'll see. It is owed to her. She ought to be. Why? He didn't say because she'd been a good woman. He said because she's a daughter of Abraham. Right? He didn't say because she'd done everything right. It's because she's a daughter of the covenant. Right? Because something has been provided. A way has been made for her to be counted worthy to receive. Even though her actions had not deserved it. So the devil will sit on people's shoulder and tell them, you know, oh, you've made such a mess of your life. You've lied and you've failed and you've stolen or you've done this and that. Why in the world do you think God would ever heal you? Why in the world do you think God would ever pay your bills or do anything for you because you're so unworthy? Only if you're lost. Did you hear me? Because if you are saved, if you have been born again, if you've received Jesus... You've been made worthy. And you ought to be healed. You ought to be blessed. You ought to be delivered. And you ought to be expecting it. Right? Well, then you're not afraid you're going to die with that disease because you ought to be healed. You're not afraid you're going under financially because you ought to be rich. It's been coming slowly, but you can begin to feel a little bit. Should you be healed? Why? Are you worthy to be healed or worthy to be punished? This is what we got to decide now. See, centuries of preaching across pulpits have told us we're worthy to be punished. Oh, the devil works overtime night and day. He wants you to believe nobody like you is going to get a prayer answered. Nobody like you. Maybe if you were holy enough, maybe if you were perfect enough, something would happen for you. God can't find anybody on earth like that. This never made any mistakes. Who's he going to use? Who's he going to bless? And if you could merit these kind of things through your own actions, then Jesus' sacrifice would not have been necessary for you. And there's nobody on the planet like that. We all came short. None of us could merit the blessing by our actions in our lives. That's why Jesus came and took upon himself all of our sin and all of our failures. And he took the punishment he did not deserve. He took it. I said he took it. All the stuff that you and I could ever be afraid of, he took. He bore He finished so that we don't have to fear it. I said, we don't have to fear it. Oh, my. Well, this is getting so big in me, I don't see how (laughs) I can do. Uh, Go to Luke 5. And then we'll go to Hebrews, and I think we'll be done. Not done. We'll hit the pause button. Luke. I already want to get to next week. I want to get to the, whoo, glory to God. The Lord will help us. We're coming up. You talk about a church of receivers. I said, you talk about a church full of receivers. Whoo, we're going to be one of the receivingest bunches. 
You better not tell us something belongs to us. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get five extras to share with other people. Amen. You watch. It's already begun. We're just in the beginning stages of it. Oh, we're going to wade out. We are going to possess the promised land. Why? Because we've been made worthy too. And made able to. We can. We ought to have it. Because he bought and paid for it. Right? Glory to God. Be like me, you know, calling to a shop. Or a place where I had an account. I've done this before. I know there's ministers that I knew were just getting started in the ministry. I had an account at a suit place. This is in another city. And I told them, I said, uh, go over there. And I've already talked to the people there and get you a couple of suits and nice ones and everything that goes with them, the shoes and the belt and the tie and the shirts and all that kind of stuff. And I called the, the owner of the place, knew me, and I told him, I said, I'm paying for it. You've already got all my information and everything. And so they don't pay for any of it. It's all done. Well, I'm understand that the guy, he did, he went to the place, thank God. And come to find out they had one of their first meetings that they were supposed to do, very young in ministry, didn't have a thing to wear. And they were ready to go charge a little suit at 21% interest on their credit card. Well, that's where they were. I've been there. But here they got two brand new nice suits, no charge. But he didn't go in there and go, oh, I'm so unworthy. To receive this suit. Why? I'm not even there. He's just going to the place. Should he have a suit? It's already been paid for. Now he didn't pay for it. I paid for it. But it's already been paid. Should he get that suit? Should he be mousy about taking it home? Should he go in there with his head down and go. Now they said for me to come by here. But I don't know. Is it okay if I look. No the suits have already been paid for. What do you do? You wade in there and pick one out. Right? You say, I like this. No, I don't like that. Yeah, I like this. I want this. And this to go with it. Right? And walk out of there rejoicing. Why? Did you deserve it? No. Did you pay for it? No. But it's yours just the same. Because somebody else did. Somebody else did. Somebody else did. Bought and paid for my healing. Bought and paid for my prosperity. Bought and paid for my deliverance. My freedom. My cleansing. My righteousness. So I ought to have it. I ought to have it. You ought to have it. But you'll you'll never receive if you're in fear. Oh, I don't know if I ought to. Brother, you just don't know my life. Now, that's all fine and good, and you're a preacher and all that, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life I've lived, and I've looked at them and said, yeah, and you don't know the power of the blood. Amen. I don't care what you've done. The blood is so powerful. It can cleanse the vilest stain. It can wash away the worst sin. And when it's washed, you're clean, as though you never did it. That means now you're worthy to receive any blessing that any preacher or any saint of God might ever have received. You have every right to it. Every right to it. Luke 5, are you there? Go ahead and find uh, Hebrews so we can just turn right from one to the other. 
uh, Hebrews 10. We're going from Luke 5 to Hebrews 10. I think I'm done. Luke 5. Peter had loaned Jesus his boat. I guess it's good he had a boat. Did you ever notice in the Gospels how much they rode in boats? I mean, yeah, I'm perfectly scriptural. I guess everybody in here ought to have a boat or two, right? Yeah. I know y'all got a lot of boat seed in the ground or in the water. Luke 5. Boy, you should have seen Phyllis smiling yesterday. Oh, she was smiling. She thought she was the queen of Sheba going down through there. Huh? She said she could actually hear people talk. She's referring to my first boat, the, the loud one. She could hear. All you could hear on the other one was blah. Which I like that too. Luke 5. Peter loaned Jesus his boat. Jesus preached out of it. And then he told them to cast out the net. And they did. And they caught such a huge catch that it began to fill the ships. And sink the ships. This is a miracle of material provision. Right? Material miracle. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And said what? What? What does that mean? Go away? Go away from me? Why? Why? There's no question. This could be the best day of Peter's life up to this point. He's around somebody he's never been around before. He's never sensed the love and the joy and the life and the peace. He's just heard Jesus preach an extended message. He's never heard anything like this before. His joy is, is full. He's thrilled. He, all kind of things are going on inside him. And that's not it. Jesus says, uh, okay, thank you for your boat. Y'all go over there and cast your net. Peter said, well, we've been fishing all night. He said, just do what I say. He said, yes, sir, okay. And he went and did it. This is money. Do you understand? Yeah. Whose fish are these? It's theirs. This is money in the bank and a lot of it. He's had the best spiritual day of his life, probably the best financial day of his life in a few hours. And the man that he connected with that caused it to be, he says, you got to get away from me. Why would you say something like that? How many understand millions of people are doing it today? Aren't they? They're doing it. Oh, no, I can't go in that church. I can't, no, I can't hang with you because I'm not that kind of person. And no, the Lord wouldn't have anything to do with me. You hear people all the time. Well, he wouldn't hear my prayers. I had a fellow tell me just recently, he said, well, he might hear you. You know, you're a preacher, but I don't talk to him much. When he is the solution of all problems, he is the fulfillment of every dream. Why do you say go away from me? Why? Keep reading. Why? Why? Because I am a sinful man. His consciousness of his sin 
Makes him feel guilty. Makes him feel ashamed. Like he don't deserve this day. He don't deserve all this fine blessing of fish and all this fine sermon and fellowship. I don't deserve. No, you don't understand, Lord. You made a mistake. I, I'm not the right man to be around you. Peter, he had been a rough guy. I'm a sinful man. He had done a lot of stuff. He'd been a rough man. But Jesus said, I didn't come. You know, it's not the healthy who need a physician. It's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why I'm here. For the roughest of the rough. But his sin consciousness, guilty feeling, made him pull away. Do you see this? Pull away. Well, if you do that, you're not going to receive anything else. Thank God he got over it. Go to Hebrews and see how you and I are to think today and how we're no longer to say this, get away from me. I can't have this. I can't receive this. Hebrews 10, 14. Hebrews 10, 14. By one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost is a witness to us. For after he said before, this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts, in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. If he doesn't remember them, why should you? Right? If he doesn't mention them, why should you bring them up? Now when you've repented... I don't care what you've been or what you've done. When you've truly repented and you've received your forgiveness, don't be telling us. Don't be telling other people. Don't be broadcasting, talking about your mistakes. No. If God doesn't remember them, neither should you. Don't tell us about what you were. Tell us what you are in Christ now. He said now. Where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. No need for any more offering. Having therefore, brethren, what? What? Boldness to run away, no, to enter into the holiest place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he's consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us what? Let us pull back. No, let us say, oh, you got to get away from me. No, I'm not worthy to be around you. No, what does the blood do? What does the cleansing of the conscience, what does the washing away of the sin and righteousness revelation, it causes you to be bold and to draw near. And when you draw near to God, what happens? What happens? He draws near to you. Are you getting happy about this like me? In a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the profession or confession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised it will come to pass. You can receive anything you can believe for. Anything your heart desires or that your life requires. Why? You ought to have it. You ought to have it. Why? Because you've been made righteous. You've been made worthy by the blood. You should fear no punishment. But you just should expect the best. Woo, glory to God. Stand up on your feet. Stand up and give God some praise and glory. Woo, thank you Lord. 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 
What a good God. Hallelujah. Oh, what a good God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.